Welcome to the Splinters Podcast from the team on the bench. Community Radio's leading no-holds-barred Friday night sports show. Available online and replayed on Triple H 100.1 FM. Now, here's your host, the Raging Bull, Anthony Caruso. Good evening and welcome to Splinters, this bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, TuneIn and all good podcast sites and indeed some of your bad ones. This is Anthony the Bull Caruso and tonight we are back on all things football. One of the real joys to experience over the last five to seven years has been the rise and rise of women's football, especially off the back of two highly successful World Cups and the impending Women's World Cup that will be held in Australia and New Zealand in 2023. But it's not just the international game that has taken off. We've also seen greater opportunity for professionalism within women's football, opportunities at the representative level that would only have been available previously in cricket. While the, the NWSL in the US and Australia's own W League continues to develop and improve with every season, all the attention has been to where the money and opportunity really lies and it now appears to be in Europe. We will be talking about how this landscape has changed over the last three years and where it is likely to go into the future. And to do that, we need someone who has experienced playing football in multiple locations around the world. And indeed, we are blessed on Splinters to have someone ready to step up for this. Formerly of Newtown in Massachusetts and attending school at Milton Academy, isn't it amazing what you can find on the interwebs these days? She got her start at the Occidental College and has never looked back, leading her college to the playoffs for the first time in their history to women's football. Yes, we are calling it football here, not soccer. And she also played for the Santa Clarita Rooks before making the move to God's Country, aka Sydney, Australia. Previously playing for the North Shore Mariners and now a permanent fixture at Manly United. She is on debut on Splinter, so please welcome to the show, Corinna Winkler. Good evening to you. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Now, it's it's been a, an amazing journey for yourself, um, making the move from Massachusetts over to mm-hmm. um, over to Sydney. Um, how's the culture shock? I think to for you to start off with, because a lot of Americans I know when they come here speak of that culture shock to start off with. Sure. So my dad's Australian and I grew up um, coming here like every other year. Um, so for me, it wasn't too bad. I think I got I got used to it early um, and growing up with an Australian dad, I sort of, yeah, was ready for um, for what I arrived and um, experienced here. Uh, you, you cheated the system then, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. You definitely, yeah. Um, as we mentioned, we will look at the landscape of experience playing in the US and Australia, what opportunities had originally existed and what some women had to do in order to make a living playing football. We will then look at the development of the game in Europe and how that is producing new avenues for professionalism for women in football. Finally, as Corinne is on debut, we can announce that it is back. Yes, Corinne, later on in the show, will be going through Drop and Give Me 20. And I bet that some of the girls at North Shore Net Mariners and Manly United Corinne, they're probably feeling a little bit nervous right now. <laughs> yeah, they have nothing to worry about. <laughs> no, no, no. Look, we're here on Splinters and Triple H Sports in general, we are all about throwing people under the bus. So we, we will be encouraging that a little bit later on. So with that, the referee is at the ready. All the players are in position and the whistle has now blown. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is Splinters. Now, we're going to start off with looking at, I guess, the development of the National Women's Soccer League in the in the U.S. And I, I guess football in the U.S. has had a bit of a stop-start history right from the 1970s. And, of course, we do talk about the original North American League, the league that really did bring Pelé to the uh, the forefront of the minds of everyone in, um, in North America back in the 70s. But I think to yourself, Corinne, um, the real tapestry of women's football started off in in the history around three separate competitions um i'm just sort of curious curious to know the you had the the women's professional league wps the uslw league and the women's premier soccer league so from your experience sort of seeing it how did the three of them sort of work together or indeed separately against each other um sure so i think um the one that i would say people are most familiar with, or at least for me growing up, was the Women's Professional Soccer League. Um, I think the USL, I was never super familiar with, so I think they were sort of in the background or maybe um, in other parts of the country it it was bigger. 
Um, and then the WPSL, I think, was sort of just maybe a tier below the WPS. Um, and I actually played in that league. And I think, um, yeah, I think it was just like a slightly lower standard than the Women's Professional Soccer League. So I, I think it was good to have sort of a number of different leagues, like plenty of opportunities for for players to be part of a team. Um but yeah, there's definitely, I think the the WPS was sort of the, the front and center and the forerunner. And of course, a lot of the competitions here, much like the, say, the men's or indeed in any other sports, a lot of the basis for this is based on, is comes from college because mm-hmm. uh, that's where the opportunity, I guess, really comes through. And I guess, and I'm, I'm assuming some of the funding even came from as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think college was, um, that was sort of the big um I don't know, I guess the prize of like where you where you're gonna play in college. Now, the US soccer, obviously, we saw the initial build up of this brand new NWSL. A lot of the clubs really did struggle to get themselves interested in, in being part of this competition. Uh, but Eventually, once they got their running, the the competitions at least got some fairly solid backing from co- current clubs and involved in the MLS, or indeed in the in the case of uh, one of the bigger clubs, OL Reign, indeed ownership directly from Olympique Lyon over in France. Mm-hmm. So, has how much from what you are able to see now has? I guess the MLS and the NWSL sort of work together under the guise of U S soccer to try and build up both competitions at the same time. Has has there been a a bit of cross pollination between them or were the women's clubs initially sort of almost running on their own in a way? Sure. I think, and I'm not an expert on this, but I think the women's clubs have sort of been on their own a bit. Um, Like, I know they've been struggling from the get-go, and I think um, sort of the women's national team is really the only um, team that has sort of stood the test of time and consistently been, um, you know, in existence and of excellent quality. Um, And then other, the sort of professional leagues sitting below that have sort of come and gone um, and faced a lot of of issues. Now... These days now, the NWSL, it, it's, it runs off a salary cap, uh, initially at $200,000 with a maximum spend of one player of $30,000, of course, in US. Uh, it's now up to 650000 with a maximum spend of one player of 50000 uh, And I guess one of the, obviously, what, from your side, is certainly one of the pleasing things to see is that the, the salary cap for the competition has increased by a whopping 325% over six years. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly... As you saw from the previous World Cup, the debate around um, pays pay for the, um, the women's competition is is certainly front and center in terms of the debate around um, equal pay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, it's definitely really good to see that this is moving in the right direction. Like three hundred and twenty five percent is definitely a huge increase, um, but I feel like it's still not enough. I think. Like a lot of these women have given up so much. They've worked really hard. Um, they're putting in the same amount of time as the men and they've faced a lot of adversity and they've gone from like shamefully underpaid to just underpaid. Um, I think like when you compare um, some of the men's leagues in Europe, it's just that it's not even um not even close. So I think um, it, it's good to see that it's going in the right direction, but I think it can go further. Um, yeah. Well, this is the interesting part is that uh, the, one of the things that we have found is that the players who are, represent the national teams in the competition, so USA or Canada, um, they're actually, they receive the added benefit of having their full wages paid and having it exempt from the salary cap. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the, the your big name players over there would be able to be able to be covered completely and be able to get that full time wage. But certainly the debate and one of the things we've obviously seen is with the players union over there trying to push for more trying to push for more pay, you've got the players who are already, I guess, well established in the national team, but you don't see that money sort of being filtered through to some of the other players, especially those just trying to get a foothold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think when you when you put it in context of how many like America's huge, the population is huge, the number of women playing football there is huge. 
Um, and it's probably only what, like a handful of players that would actually qualify for that, um, like extended salary cap. So I think, um, I think it's, it's definitely a good start, but, um, yeah, maybe if those benefits reached a larger number of players, it would be sort of more motivating for younger girls, um, and players that are kind of coming up through the ranks to, for them to make that choice to, you know, put the time and energy into continuing and pursuing football. The, the compare it with the MLS, where the salary cap at the moment is at four point two four million dollars, uh, along with what what would we would in Australia call the marquee rule, the marquee player rule, where you have three players exempt by, from the salary cap over there. And I think that the, I had an absolute giggle when I discovered this is they actually colloquially call this the David Beckham rule. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> This has been, I mean, it's one of the biggest things that causes the, the dispute in terms of pay. And, um, you know, it's an interesting challenge in terms of ensuring a player gets paid a fair wage for a fair day's work against something that is, you know, commercially and financially sustainable. I mean, they took, we saw MLS take a risk on pumping money with via the LA Galaxy to bring David Beckham over to, mm-hmm. to play in MLS. And all of a sudden, the commercial... Um, opportunity for, for the MLS exploded off the back and you saw the likes of players coming over into the future, the guys like, you know, Freddie Yunberg, Thierry Henry, uh, Sebastian Giovinco, and, of course, one of my favourite players of all time, the maestro himself, Andrea Pirlo. Um, mm-hmm. But it then raises an interesting question. Do you wait for the money to come in before you pay more for the players or do you do what, say, the MLS did and what cricket are doing here, especially for women in cricket here in Australia, and that is make the investment in a particular product for the game that looks to generate funds in the long run? And this is a debate that I don't think the US have quite gotten a hold of just yet on the female side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, my opinion is definitely that it, the investment is the only piece that's missing. I think if you have an excellent product and you invest heavily in sort of putting marketing, advertising, media behind that, it's definitely a recipe for success. And I think women's football in the States, like there's so much talent there. They've had so much success on an international level. Um, the only piece that's missing is that sort of investment. Um, and I think it's a no brainer. The potential um, is huge. And um, we've already seen their success sort of in spite of, you know, them being underpaid and, um, yeah, just not having that that money there, that financial backing in the past. So I think once that gets added, um, yeah, I think it'll just be um, sort of a snowball effect of, you know, positive um, outputs. And, that, and that's really the debate, isn't it? And I think that it's a lot. It's something that's lost on a lot of on a lot of people who are opposed of trying to increase the the pay for women. Is that do do you call it pay or do you say you are investing in trying to create a new product? Because really, it's the same thing that you do in business. If you see something's got potential, you invest money. Yes, you're taking a risk, but you can see the potential that's going to co- to come with it, and that you're creating a new market. And not only that, but you're giving these players an opportunity to be able to be able to you know, a- achieve their ambitions when it comes to football, but also you're going to give them training that's going to be uh, in with them for life. And we know that one of the biggest challenges that we've had, say, for example, with women's sport in Australia is that culture change to help women become media, media and commercially savvy. Mm-hmm. And I think the the best part of that investment is training them up to be able to handle the pressures and the expectations that come with it but it's something that it becomes very rewarding for themselves in the long run but do you put the cart before the horse and it seems like you know in certain elements of america they they feel like well no we want to see the money first well Mm -hmm. is that really the right way to go yeah um i actually i have a book uh, written by Abby Wambach. So she's a player from the, the U.S. women's national team. I think yeah. she was captain at one point. And at one point in the book, she she shows this these numbers. So in 2015, uh, when the women's U.S. national team turned a profit of $6.6 6 uh, the men's national team earned a profit of just $2 million. 
So I think um, we've seen in the States that the women, the women have really been sort of best in world, um, the men not even close, and yet there's this willingness for organizations to invest in the men and not in the women. And to me, it, it makes no sense because the women have really proven themselves time and time again. Um, and, you know, that hasn't been the case for the men. So it's interesting because I think when you just look at the numbers or just look at look at it from a raw business perspective, um, there's really no reason like that there should be so much hesitation um, investing in the women's game. Now, let's compare that with the situation that we've got in here in Australia, because the uh, the W League has started off, I guess, a bit of on a smaller base and so much so that the competition initially started off with a salary cap of only $100,000. Um, the, the, the growth on a percentage level has actually been even bigger than the U.S. in that the, the salary cap is now at $450,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the significance of that is that if you compare the minimum hour wage for a W League player for the A League, for a minimum hourly wage for an A League player, it's exactly the same. Mm-hmm. It's just the difference is that the, the W League players are actually playing less games. It mm-hmm. appears to be the only difference. So the, the question will then come about, well, how do we increase the number of games? Mm-hmm. So the, the opportunity is certainly there. And I think we're starting to – I think the, the big benefit we've seen with the FFA so far is that they've, they've shown the willingness, to, I guess, to invest in the women's game here. And we're starting to see that now with, I think, the international, the, in, the, the Matildas now mm-hmm. becoming fully professional. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, I think I know a lot of um, the top Australian players are playing abroad, and I think um, it'll be really positive sign for the W League when those players start sticking around and wanting to play here. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, it, I definitely think it's it's also heading in the right direction, and um, yeah, it, it's good that the women are getting paid more here, but still. Again, um, there's, I think, a ways to go. Oh, no doubt. Absolutely no <laughs> doubt. There is a way to go. So, um, And it's up to us you know, to, to, to show that growth, especially when you consider that uh, football is the fastest growing winter sport for women now in Australia by the, by the length of the Flemington Strait. Mm-hmm. So, um, so what, has, what, what, what really has changed? And I think the biggest, the biggest game changer has really come from the 2019 FIFA World Cup and all of a sudden out of nowhere seeing the growth of other European nations becoming competitive apart from it just being the likes of, say, the UK, um, Sweden and Norway, we're now seeing southern European nations, southern and eastern European nations becoming very competitive in the women's game and it's allowed the opportunity for the club competitions in Europe to be able to grow their own competitions to the point where they're even paying bigger salaries than than the counterparts in the US and Australia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. It seems like um, like Europe is really drawing a lot of the top talent now, which is super interesting. And they've got – and the, the big thing is – and this is, this is my curiosity with it as well. We're, it seems to be done here in Australia. It's being done a lot in Europe, and yet it hasn't caught on in the US in that – the women's squads are actually encompassed within the football clubs at all. So your likes of Chelsea, Arsenal, Manchester United, Manchester City, they're all playing within the one club, mm-hmm. under the one banner, or with the one set of resources. Whereas if you go over to the US, there's still a brand distinction between mm-hmm. them. And I'm just sort of curious to see from your side where that, why that culturally still exists potentially and what needs to happen in order to break that mold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not, I'm honestly not sure why that exists, but I think that's probably like a key reason why um, the women haven't seen the same success there. Um, just because, you know, if you have a team, for example, in Europe coming under the name Chelsea, like that name carries already carries a lot of um, like clout and people will get excited about it. Um, Whereas in the U S you have teams just like names coming up out of nowhere that you've never heard of before. And, and then you don't put a lot of money into it and, and they expect, 
you know, people to get excited about that and jump on the bandwagon where it just seems very unlikely. So I think I think that's definitely a mistake that they've made by not um, sort of just building um, under, I guess, the same banner or like brand. I mean, could you imagine what they could you imagine how much success they would have if and I know that they're bringing in a new team in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. but there's no guarantee that they're going to be named the LA Galaxy. Could you imagine mm-hmm. the commercial opportunity if they named this women's team as part of the LA Galaxy? Yeah, no, it seems it seems like you'd be crazy not to to piggyback um, on that name. It's known worldwide, so um, yeah. The what what is astounding for me is the numbers that we're gonna, now going to see for the for the women's game in in England, for example. So the likes of Caitlin Ford and Samantha Kerr now heading over to the UK to play full time, and a salary cap. This is going to make people's eyes water that mm-hmm. how well this is now going, and it's only going to get better. We should point out as well a salary cap of five hundred and four thousand pounds, Woo-hoo. not dollars, pounds. <laughs> And a maximum of £233,000 that could be spent on one player, a.k.a. your marquee player. I think Samantha Kerr's on that. Awesome. Like, I would, <laughs> if I'm getting £233,000 a year to play football, oh. I'm not exactly complaining, am I? <laughs> Definitely not. That's the dream. So... Uh, just to give an idea for, for everyone here in Australia, so 504,000 pounds, that's a salary cap of 900,000 US uh, Australian dollars. So an average squad of 23, uh, like you could imagine an entry player is getting $40,000 a year. Doesn't sound like much, but that's a much better start than what you be what you would have experienced, I guess, when you started. Definitely. Yeah, I think when I played semi-professionally in the States, I don't think I, I don't remember getting paid at all. <laughs> Was, and now, and now they now you're guaranteed in the UK when you enter forty thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm. No, that's great, and um, yeah, I think it's definitely well deserved. It's exciting, and I, I think like when I look back at sort of the choices I made along my, I guess, through my journey, um, I definitely remember like very clearly having a moment when I was choosing colleges. I had. I had the choice to play Division One at you know a school that had an amazing soccer team, um, or playing Division Three where I ended up playing, where the caliber of soccer wasn't quite as high, but I knew I would be getting a really good education. And I thought, I'm I can't earn a living playing soccer, so I'll play Division Three. Like I still want soccer to be a part of my life, but I know that that it needs to go hand in hand with my education, and I wasn't you know, I didn't feel like it would be smart for me to play Division One and um, invest so much time and energy in soccer, knowing that, like, once I graduated, you know, there wasn't much waiting for me in terms of opportunities to play and, and earn a living. So I think when you have these changes in salaries, it'll really shift um, the way that, like, young girls um, – you know, coming up in high school and university will, you know, make decisions and where they'll put their time and energy. So it's exciting. And we're seeing this in other leagues as well. And I think the two leagues that people need to watch out for for, for women's football in the future is um, is Italy and in, and in France, where the salary cap is actually even higher. And mm-hmm. unlike the other competitions, um, these the, the clubs, and this is the interesting thing, we, we talk about, again, the clubs are actively are proactively investing in their players. Juventus, for example, have guaranteed that their players are going to get paid um, a minimum 50,000 euros a year, which mm-hmm. is not bad no, to, to start off with. Uh, my 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 favourite club over there, uh, Juventus, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, they're getting that paid right now and they're having half of their games played before the men mm-hmm. at um, Juventus Stadium. So imagine the buzz of being able to go out and on a day that you know, along with the uh, within the men's team playing as well. You may not get the full stadium capacity you'd be thinking, but you still walk into an eighty thousand seater stadium and you're going to have forty thousand people sitting there watching your game. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great exposure, and I'm sure there's plenty of um, fans who might not have been aware of the women's team who are going to show up early and watch watch and be pleasantly surprised so i think it i think it's really smart the way that they've done that and it's a it's exciting 
Well, that's that. That was the masterstroke that they pulled with the uh, with the W League initially. Here is that they they ran double headers with the women's and the men playing one after the other, and it got people into the stadium early to mm-hmm. watch to watch the games. And all of a sudden, you you start as I said, you start generating interest, and people then start going to standalone matches. And you know, I've still got that memory of you know out of the blue a game between Australia and Chile and 17,000 people turning up to Panthers stadium to watch that game mm-hmm. so you know it's this is this I, I think you know there is a case as you as you say you know of, of you know it's not it's not saying oh you, it's not necessarily you don't deserve it, but it's the investment and mm-hmm. that's the way it needs to be seen yeah so. yeah and I think um, there's been a perception at least like when I was growing up that w- women's sports are sort of boring and they're um, you know, they're just not as exciting to watch. And I think nowadays, especially like it, that's just not the case at all. And I think people, if they're exposed to women's sports, they sort of realize, wow, this is actually, you know, amazing. And, and they kind of get on board. Um, so I think it is important to just like get people, you know, seeing, seeing games, watching games, making them, you know, easy to watch on TV, easy to watch in person, um, and sort of breaking those, those misperceptions. Let me throw, let me throw a big one before uh, at you before we go to the break. And does the rise of women's football in Europe put the NWSL and the W league at risk in terms of their initial positions as premier women's football competitions in the world? And if so, what do those respective um, um, competitions need to do in order to stay relevant within women's club football? Yeah, I, I'm i not an expert on this, but my opinion is that it'll only be a good thing. I think um, it'll sort of force the US and Australia to maybe step up their game um, to sort of draw, draw those top players and that talent. Um, I think, you know, the more, the more competitive leagues you have the better um and i think if europe is raising the bar that's great and and other countries will be forced to follow um so yeah i I think it i think it's a positive um but yeah whether it's it's i think the challenge well and i i would take it that maybe you've got a little bit more from your tone i'd say that australia you've probably got a little bit more confidence of that happening in australia than the u.s at the moment yeah um I mean, maybe just because I'm, I've been playing here, so I'm more familiar with like where things stand here in Australia. Um, but yeah, I just see even with you know some of the the top Matildas being in Europe, um, there's still so much talent here in Australia, and I think um, having a a really competitive, high caliber league here um is what we need to get there's you know there's plenty of really good players here that need that kind of competition um to to continue to to develop their game um so i think yeah it can only only good can come out of that well ladies and gentlemen that is half time here on splinters uh you are listening to our edition with corinna winkler and we'll be right back here right here on triple h 100.1 fm streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com apple store youtube music spotify TuneIn, and all good podcast sites we'll be right back <laughs> Welcome back to Splinters, the Bench Podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, TuneIn and all good podcast sites. Yes, we're back talking women's football with Corinne Winkler. We've just been going through sort of where we think women's football is going to be going, especially with the rise in, in um, Europe. And Corinne, I guess the last question that I wanted to sort of bring up as we, before we move on to have a, a little bit more fun has been what has just been asking more about how you've seen the interaction from say the top down the W league into the interaction within NPL, because we are seeing more and more players competing in the W league, having a secondary club that they would play with within NPL to sort of keep them fit throughout the entire course of the season. What has that done, do you think, to the end, the level of standard for the NPL? 
Um, I think it's definitely gone way up. Um, I would say most of my NPL matches, there's something like seven W League players starting for for each team. Um, maybe more, maybe less, but um, I'd say around that number. Um, so I think it's definitely really brought the quality of um, NPL matches up, which is great. It, um, it makes it super fun and competitive uh, to play in as well. And not only that, but the added exposure you've now got with NPL TV, uh, having your game streamed live, um, is, it must be an absolute buzz to be able to experience your games finally being telecast in some way, shape or form. Yeah, no, it's great. And I think um, for me, like I can send my parents the link back in the States and they can watch. And um, yeah, it's always nice to watch back the games after and see, you know, what you did well and what you didn't do well. So, yeah, it's it's great. You'll have to send them this podcast now as well. as part yeah. of it, so. <laughs> so with that, I think it's a really good time to segue over to this part. It is the part that we always submit people who are on debut in to have a go to see how they react to it. So, Corinne Winkler, are you ready to drop and give us 20? I'm ready. You're ready. Question number one, your hometown club? Um, the South Coast Scorpions. Um, so that was my club growing up. They're from uh, Braintree, Massachusetts. And I've got to ask, because the, the company <laughs> I work for is based in, um, is based in Cambridge. In okay. Massachusetts. So how far away is that from Cambridge or indeed uh, like Boston? Maybe, maybe 20 minutes. Okay. Quite close, yeah. It's, it's one area I'm probably going to look forward to, to visiting some point. So, um, you know, never never, never know. Your hometown hero? Um, I would say Amy Caldwell. She was a teammate of mine on uh, the Scorpions, actually. She played on the national team um she's just amazing she was sort of like the poster child for every team she's ever played on like Gatorade player of the year um and she was just like a really humble humble player super hard worker um always put in 100 percent. and she yeah I think was definitely like a, a hero for my team and just um in my memory so yeah the- and, and, it's a, and it's a special thing as well when you consider because you know, we, we all hear about the state, Massachusetts, but, you know, it doesn't have the sort of profile that you would expect if someone, say, came from, you know, the boroughs of New York or down in Miami or even, say, on the West Coast. So it, it must be very special for that, for the town to have someone come come up from there and represent the U.S. Yeah, definitely. I think it was um, it was definitely exciting and she definitely had – you know, lots of attention for, for um, I guess, throughout her career. Now, a, a bit of a bit of reminiscing for yourself. Your first goal, <laughs> your first competitive goal. Um, oh, competitive? I don't know. So my first goal was the first game I ever played in. Um, I was six. It ended up being called back um, because I wasn't totally clear on the rules, but um, we, we had the kickoff and I didn't know that someone else needed to touch the ball. So I just kind of ran for it, dribbling the ball straight from half. And I think everyone, you know, was realizing it was going to get called back. So I think that's why maybe no one was defending me and I just went straight and scored. Um, And I still remember it really well. The, the excitement followed by the embarrassment. (laughs) (laughs) Um, what about your first goal in uh, NPL or indeed your college football? Um, I can't remember it super clearly. Um, it was probably, if I had to guess, a corner kick, <laughs> a header off of a corner kick. But um, yeah, I can't remember super well. Just that. And I guess, I guess the other one, of course, would be any hat tricks in your career. Um. Definitely, but not recently, just because now I'm playing defense. So I used to play center midfield, um, but now... And you got I'm, a hat-trick. Hmm? You got a hat-trick. Yes, but um, yeah, at center midfield, um, uh, sorry, at right back, I, I rarely score these days. <laughs> Up until I think a couple of weeks ago, where you, I think you broke your duck, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I scored last weekend, actually, so that was exciting. Yeah. Again, a corner kick. Yeah, um, that's that's pretty much how it goes now. now for, those, for those of you who haven't seen her play, Corinne's actually quite tall, so she'd be <laughs> one of those players. It'd certainly be a target for for corners. So uh, believe me, it's 
it'd be like the equivalent of say a Tony Popovich if they decide to throw throw him up into the um, the line at a corner, he'd be definitely a target for a, a header. So, um, your biggest achievement on the field? Um, I would say my proudest moment um, was at university, um, getting my team to the league finals. Um, so that was my freshman year. Um, we had a few like really talented first years join that year. And I think we definitely caught the league by surprise. So no one really expected us to go far. And then we sort of got into the finals and, um, yeah, it was just, everyone was super excited. Um, it was sort of history for the school and we got a lot of, you know, big awards, off the back of that. So it was, it was definitely an exciting thing to be part of. And, uh, you know, we go from the, the, we go from the amazing to the other end of the spectrum, your biggest fail, and you've already <laughs> brought up your first so-called goal. Any others like that? <laughs> um, fortunately, I haven't had too many embarrassing moments like that on the field. I think, um, yeah, my biggest fail I mean, probably I I tore my ACL two years ago at training. I think that was like a pretty oh, low geez. a low moment. <laughs> yeah, no, no, even, I've, yeah. I've uh, I've done I've done the ACL. I've yeah. done the ACL as well. That is not pleasant. No, especially at training. Like it's just you know, <laughs> there wasn't even you know an exciting game to go with it. Um, it's just yeah. Oh, yeah, I know how you feel. Mine was a trial match. So oh, no. Yeah, out for the season, before the season even starts. Yeah. Uh, do you have a pre-game or post-game ritual? Um, I would say my my biggest pre-game ritual is just getting a good night's sleep. Um, and then I used to have a coffee before games, and I've cut that out, and it's it's been hugely beneficial. I think I used to, like, get a bit more panicky because I was, you know, jacked up on caffeine. Um, so now I kind of focus on trying to stay relaxed um, and just like staying calm. And then I think post game, I just order Uber Eats and watch a movie or watch TV. <laughs> any any TV shows you've been sort of binging on lately? Oh, um, at the moment I'm watching Pablo Escobar. It's on Netflix. Yeah, yeah another one. <laughs> it's definitely entertaining. It's shocking and. Um, yeah, it's great. <laughs> we just um we just we got around to just finishing the final series of um of suits, so Oh no. Nice. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I I've now gonna have to take lessons on how to dress by Harvey Specter more often. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I need to find a new three piece suit actually, anyway. Um how do you kill time during the off season? Um I think it's pretty easy. Um it's sort of like the one time where you have weekends free, so Catching up on, I don't know, going on a trip weekends away, seeing friends um, can be pretty hard. Like having, you know, training on Friday nights and then games on Sundays to to see friends during the season. So I think I sort of just catch up on all that stuff um, in the off season. Now, here's one that's always a bit controversial, this next question. Which sport do you think the world could do without and why? Um baseball definitely baseball um, you have you have just won so many points in my book right now <laughs> yeah i felt strongly about this for a long time um it's it's a sport that in my opinion is like 90 percent marketing um i just yeah i don't understand the appeal i think it's quite one-dimensional and predictable and yeah i'm not sure why why americans love it so much yeah yeah, could not agree more. Which three sports stars would you invite to dinner and why? Um, let's see. I think um, Ronaldo would definitely be there just for the entertainment value. Hang on, let's, we should just clarify. Are we talking Brazilian Ronaldo or are we talking Cristiano Ronaldo? Cristiano Ronaldo. Cristiano Ronaldo, okay. Um, Abby Wambach, just because yeah. she's like a legendary player. She seems like a super interesting person. Um, and then... Sort of random, but uh, Liverpool's Alexander-Arnold, um, just because he's one of my favourite players right now. Oh, yeah, so Trent, Trent Alexander-Arnold. Yes, yeah, yeah, I think he plays right back, which is... That's right. Yep. these days, so... That's good, that's good. The biggest sporting location you have ever played at? Um, I'd say University of San Diego Stadium, 
um, which I think seats like 10,000 people and we probably had maybe like 100 people there. So it, it felt very big, um, probably because it was so, I don't know, empty. But um, and then here in Australia, playing at uh, the Central Coast Stadium up in Gosford. Oh, you played at the old the old Blue Tongue. Yeah. It's actually a very good facility up there. Yeah, no, it was, it was a really cool stadium to play at. And because I, I grew up, you know, visiting my, my grandparents and driving past there and then actually getting to play there was pretty cool. Now, have, did you experience the one thing everyone ever talks about whenever they play it at Central Coast Stadium? That ground has the habit of turning into a wind tunnel. Mm, we No, we didn't experience that, luckily. Yeah, because especially with the water, with the wind, if you get the southerly and the wind skips off the off the water it's it's actually especially in the winter it is incredibly unpleasant because it's got that edge that edited edge of coming straight off the water and because of the way the stadium's actually designed there's only one direction for the wind to go and that's just straight through yeah. so if you're sitting right up the northern end it's not it's not pleasant no that sounds terrible i'm glad we missed we missed that <laughs> And, and I imagine the other thing as well is, of course, as we as we all know, the um, one of the greatest things to have ever come out of the Central Coast was the Master Food sauce mascots, um, and the infamous scene where the barbecue sauce mascot was seen flipping the bird at the Newcastle Jets fans during a particular <laughs> game. You know, it is just such a joy to bring to Australian football. <laughs> you don't see that with mascots anywhere else. No, definitely no. not. It sounds Aussie. <laughs> Especially ones that have actually got company branding on them as well. <laughs> um, which other sports do you follow and who do you support? Um, so I'd say I, I follow football most closely, um, especially the Men's Champions League. Um, and my favourite teams are, I'd say, Liverpool, Bayern Munich, Juventus. Um, I'm very then, happy to hear the last one. <laughs> Juventus? I'm very happy. Very happy oh, to hear yeah. the last one, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's um I think Ronaldo is a player that I sort of love to hate. Like I think his I don't love his attitude, but he's such a great player and he's really fun to watch. Um so I love watching Juventus. Um and then I have a huge appreciation for basketball as well. I think um yeah, they're just so athletic. Um I'm a Celtics fan because I'm from Boston. Um although I haven't followed it as much now that I've been living um, in Australia. So the, the, the one thing that the two that uh, will surprise a few people is the, the no, no mention of the other two big sports, obviously from Massachusetts being the new England Patriots mm-hmm. and the, um, and myself being a hockey fan as well. No mention, thankfully of the Boston Bruins Oh yeah, uh, being a, being a Montreal supporter myself, <laughs> which if I said that over there, I'd probably get lynched. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we definitely take our, our sports very seriously in Boston. Um, I do love the Bruins and the Patriots as well. Um, not as big a fan of them nowadays, but... Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, any quirks or habits that you've got involving sport? Um, quirks? I don't think so. Um, habits, the one that sort of comes to mind is just how much I had the ball. I think probably one third of the time that I touch the ball in a game is with my head. If I had to guess, um, yeah, that's all I can come up with. I don't, I don't really have any like quirks. (laughs) No, no, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, which team, which teams do you hate? Now I want, we want a sport that you follow and a sport then, and for the sport that you play in. Mm. So, so one that you follow, and then one in your actual competition. Okay, um, it's hard to think of one that I hate. I think in a sport that I follow. Um, so, like, just someone, just a team that you, you just, you know, you just say, for example, if you're going to go and play against them, it's just one you just go. I'm not going to be in for a pleasant experience. Mm-hmm. I guess a sport that I follow, I I follow basketball a bit, and I would say the Miami Heat. Yeah. Um, no just because it feels like they're all about having big names, but n- they don't really have, they don't play with much heart. Um, and then sport that I play in, ugh, 
hate is a strong word. Um, I would say one team that has just really been disappointing me lately would be Barcelona. Um, so I watched their game the other week against um, Munich where they lost with like 8-2 or something. So you want to love them and then they just let you down so badly and it, and it, it's hard seeing like a, a player like Messi. There's so much, there is some talent in that team. And um, yeah, it's, it hurts to watch them. So I would say, yeah, maybe, maybe them. <laughs> Your biggest sporting inspiration. Um, definitely. I think you probably mentioned her before, didn't you? Yeah, I would say definitely the women's U S women's national team. Um, I think, in spite of a lot of adversity, they're just consistently excellent. Like they, they always bring a good attitude. Um, they always come up with the results. They, they've won so many world cups, um, and Olympic games and yeah, they're just super exciting to watch. So definitely them. Now, now we come to the fun part, the really (laughs) fun part. This is where we often encourage that we want to see, people thrown under the bus so first off who has in which teammate have you ever played with has had the best chat or banter and the worst chat or banter (laughs) i would say um the best banter would have to go to maddie bart um so she was one of my teammates from the mariners um i'd say like no matter what we're doing she would she would find a way to make it entertaining and funny. Um, she's just like a crack up at training games, um, team, just any team event. Um, she always keeps it, keeps it lively. So I'd say she's best banter. Um, worst banter. That's hard. <laughs> Go on. There's um, got to be someone. There's, there's got to be someone. Yeah. Maybe, um, Oh, who am I going to throw under the bus now? <laughs> do it. Do it. First person comes to mind, bam. There you are. Oh, I don't know. I can't. Really? Yeah. Wow. Man, a lot of a few players I know at Manly United are probably sitting there going very relieved they haven't been thrown under the bus right now. Yeah. Um <laughs> and for the for the record, um of course your your current manager um chris williams i used to play a lot of cricket against and the stories of the banter between our us the pair of us was has always been there (laughs) so he's probably told you about what the the antics him and i used to get up to against each other so (laughs) um i'll I'll have to ask him more about that yeah absolutely (laughs) the Okay, in the next one, the best and worst on what we call what in Australia we call the circuit, or also known as just like if you if the squad goes for a night out, who's the best, who's the worst? Um, so actually, this this will be one person depending on what point point in the night we're looking at. So I would say Sunny Franco, a hundred percent. So she starts out as the best, and the thing about Sunny is she definitely goes goes all out. Um, and the same is true when she's going out. So I think she starts as the best, and then as the night progresses, she probably becomes the worst. <laughs> oh, go on. Okay. Have you got one story in particular about it? Um, oh, I just remember last year we we had a big night out uh, the night before our presentation night, and then during our presentation night, she had to run to go throw up in the bathroom. <laughs> She was hung over from the previous night at the presentation. Yeah. <laughs> Sunny, how are you doing Sorry, right now? <laughs> um, same thing now, best and worst in terms of their taste in music. And usually this comes about because you've got one person in the change room who would usually be in charge of music and you mm-hmm. hope it's this person and sometimes ends up with that person. You're going, oh, dear God, really? Yeah. Um, so Nick is definitely the best. She's sort of like the designated team DJ. Um, and then I would say, I think it's, it's Jane Vanzino who usually grabs the, the, um, the phone and puts something on that we're all like, wait, what is this? Change the, change the song. What, what makes it so bad? Is it a particular theme or is it just unrecognizable? Um, I think it's just usually the kind, like not the kind of music that you want to listen to before a game. Like it just doesn't get you excited. <laughs> okay. Vibe. <laughs> Your team pest. What is a team pest? 
someone who's just annoying, just goes in, plays practical jokes all the time, pops up when you just least want them to be there. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, oh, I feel bad saying this. Probably Lockie, our assistant coach. <laughs> he has a way of just, yeah, coming in at just the wrong time or saying, I don't know. Stupid stuff. Yeah. <laughs> any any that just comes to mind straight away? Yeah, no, I'd say Lockie. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean like oh, anything he's done specifically, said. yeah. Oh, um, not that I can remember, but, yeah, they come up pretty often. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, so just a serial pest. Yeah. Um, which teammate would you refuse to get in the car with for a drive to the game and why? Cool. So this is, this is my chance to um, throw Chris under the bus. So I've actually yes. coached Chris um, instead of a teammate. Um, and the reason why is just because he loves his tactics. And I can just imagine that the entire game, he would want to break down every every aspect, every possible scenario that might happen, um, which just doesn't go well with my, my pregame routine of trying to stay calm and, yeah. <laughs> I've got to say, you know, it's one of the – we don't ask that question very often, but that is just one of the best responses I've ever heard. You've thrown <laughs> your own coach under the bus for just going over the tactics over and over again. That is just simply brilliant. He loves brilliant. tactics. <laughs> oh, no, I, you're absolutely right. I mean, oh, that, that is just outstanding. And, and question 20, which teammate would you like to throw under the bus and make them come on and join us to drop and give us 20? Um, I'll have to go with our skipper, Chloe, for that one. Unfortunately, you're too late. Oh, no, she's, she's already, already done it. Been. She's already done it. How about Remy? Has she? No, Remy hasn't. Let's go with Remy. Remy, <laughs> Remy Simpson. Yeah. So, Remy, you have officially been called out. <laughs> so, are you going to accept the challenge to drop and give us 20? Of course, for those of you who don't know, Remy Simpson, the star striker for Manly United and also for Sydney FC in the W League. So, that is that's one that could be that could be quite brutal knowing that she's a Raiders girl and they breed them tough up there. Yeah. Well, so <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, it is full time here on Splinters. What an absolute pleasure it has been to 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 do this episode here. I want to thank our guest Corinne Winkler who, who to, for joining us. Um, it has been a pleasure. It has been an honour, and it's been wonderful to talk through some of the issues, obviously, and the challenges that has come and certainly the potential with women's football, and then to have a bit of fun uh, with yourself. And we wish you all the best for the rest of the season at Manly United. Thanks so much, and uh, thank you for having me. It's been it's been great. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is full-time here on Splinters, the Bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au, available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, TuneIn, and all good podcast sites. Coming up in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be starting to ramp up towards the um, start of new seasons. The next two weeks, we're going to be doing our EPL preview. So the spicy chorizo himself, Dom Rizzuto, will be joining myself to preview next season's English Premier League. Can Aston Villa stay up again? Can my Southampton team continue their rise up the ladder after their thrashing against Leicester City? Will we see Liverpool go back to back? I'm sure Corinne will want to see that. Oh, yeah. Um, and then after that, we will have our countdown to New South Wales Premier Cricket. All that and plenty more coming here on Splinters, the Bench Podcast. This is Anthony Bull Caruso. Run hard or run home. Good night. <laughs>